Hey guys, episode number 94 with Claire Jubb. She's a assistant county administrator in Charlotte County, and her passion is super nerdy. But maybe one of the most important things we can do in government, it's floodplain management. And when you think about what Florida is, just a few feet above being all the Everglades, uh, it's critical, it's vital. She, she talks about some of the specifics of it, why it's important. And as somebody who just lived through a major Cat 4 hurricane that came right over her house, you'll see why floodplain management is so, so vital. Greetings, I'm Steve Van Cor. This is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. I'm your host. And each episode, we interview a city or a county leader who's in a position to share interesting and useful insights into the operation of local government here in the Sunshine State. Now, if you have someone you would like to nominate as a guest, Send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com, or you can simply message FCCMA on Facebook. Now, I never do this, but I'm going to read something to you, and I hope you get as much of a chuckle out of it as I did. Our guest is Claire Jubb. She's the assistant county administrator in Charlotte County. And what we do with our guests, we send them a little thing to kind of tease up a little bit. And we ask the question, um, what are your interests? What do, you, what do you care about? What do you love? And, you know, we get a lot of really good answers. We get, you know, everything from building strong organizations. It all reads like a Stephen Covey book. Uh, but Claire's, I love, ready for this? Floodplain management. Now, <laughs> Claire, mm-hmm. it couldn't be any more nerdy. No, I know. That's- <laughs> I know. I will call myself a floodplain geek. <laughs> <laughs> but... As nerdy as it is, uh, hello, hurricane season. Hello, Houston. And really, really bad flood pain management probably cost the state tens of billions of dollars because there was no place for the water to go. And coincidentally and sadly, your house. You tell the story. (laughs) So when you look at the little black line of the path that Hurricane Ian took back on September 28th, it goes over the top of my house. And you're there front and center thinking about floodplain management and going, I'm about to get rained on. Yes. What happened? What was the damage? So for my house, it, it, it really was insignificant. I've lost, you know, roof. Um, I've got a lot of roof damage, my fence, a lot of trees down, but, you know, I'm safe. Um, Other than my roof being blown off, trees all over the place, I'm perfectly okay. That's okay. That's okay. There are a lot of people a lot worse worse off than I am. Well, you're you're, you're a generous soul, and I'm I'm glad you're you're in your home and and everything's working. Um, But I want to talk about two things today. I want to talk about, uh, let's get right into floodplain management, because that does tail into hurricanes and and county response and some of the things you've learned Mm -hmm. uh, from this, because as county administrator, we don't... We fortunately don't get hit with that many hurricanes, but when we do, you, you learn a lot about disaster management. Um, how did you get interested in floodplain management? What was that all about? Um, so it was actually back in 2007. Um, our 
emergency management director at the time for Charlotte County. I've worked for Charlotte County for like eight, 19 plus years. Um, so our emergency management director came to me in the building department and said, here, take this program. And that program was the Community Rating Systems Program, which is a companion program to the National Flood Insurance Program, which helps... The Community Ratings Program? Yes, okay. Community Rating System. It's a program where jurisdictions can work to manage development in the floodplain and promote the purchase of flood insurance. And as a result, you get discounts in your flood insurance premiums for your residents. So, and we were talking not insignificant discounts. In Charlotte County alone, back in 2010, we were getting $6 million in discounts for our residents because of the work that we did to manage development in the floodplain and be responsible. And what does that look like? Does that mean channeling water to places where it'll percolate back naturally? It doesn't sit in my front yard or in a road, but you're putting it there. And how does that work? So it's a combination of things. It's um, stormwater management. Absolutely, that's a big part of it. So making sure you have a well-functioning, um, cleaned out stormwater system. Because if you have a great stormwater system and it's not cleaned out, the water's not going to go anywhere. So it's part, that's part of it. But the other part of it you is... You mean cleaned out, the, like we were talking about the limbs and the yeah, stuff clogging yeah, the entranceway, yeah. stuff in the sewer system as well. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's a big part of it. But it's also things like building regulations, making sure that any structures that are built within the special flood hazard area, which is the 1% chance of any given, of a flood at a level in any given year, that's the kind of area we look at, that they're built to the right elevation, that they're built um, as they're meant to be built. So if it's in a high risk area, very close to the shore, that it's built elevated, you'll see all these elevated homes around. Um, Even though they're not on the beach, they're elevated. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's a combination of building regulations. By the way, have you been to St. Augustine lately? Mm-hmm. You know, because they constantly flood. They built this beautiful seawall, and then somebody didn't get the memo that the water also comes around the back and constantly flooding and now you're starting to see all these homes after the fact being lifted up when they should have been you know obviously when many of them were built in hundreds of years ago but uh and is this the equivalent of um i mean you're you're doing preventative for these homes yes you're building them in such a way that like if i was in an earthquake zone you build a house that's able to withstand earthquake i'll get less uh, less premium on my insurance. Exactly. Exactly the same thing. We're trying to make the houses more resilient um, and less... Uh, the aim of the program is to minimize the loss of life and the loss of property due to flooding. And that flooding can come from any source. So we're looking at riverine flooding. We're looking at coastal flooding, like Lee County saw during... What was the first course? Riverine. What's riverine? It's river flooding, shallow oh, okay. flooding that's coming from a river. Um, What's the river that flows through? So we have two. We have the Peace River and the Mayaka River. Both flow into Charlotte Harbor. You know, I forgot, by the way, we have to talk about this. Why are there so many alligators and big, <laughs> giant, do you wonder, I mean, okay, maybe you know this. I, I, I've been on hundreds, dozens of rivers in Florida. Uh, I love alligators. I, I, I'm, I'm once a month at the St. Mark's Wildlife Refuge at least. Oh, gorgeous. So I see, I know, beautiful. Mm -hmm. But why are, is this, folks, if you've never been to Mayaka, it is remarkable. Google, go now, Google Mayaka alligators and look at some of those pictures. Why is that? I think it's because it's a fairly untouched river and it's fairly, there's not that much development around it. So there are just tons and tons of alligators there. Um, are they all yeah. there mating? Are there oh, un yeah. unlimited amounts of food? Because yeah. the refuge doesn't have 
the wildlife refuge in St. Mark's doesn't, I mean, we have a lot of alligators there, yeah. but not that many. Not that many, no. I, I think it's just, you know, the, the habitat down there around the Mayaka. I mean, every pretty much every stormwater pond has at least one gator in it in Charlotte County. We have one at our county buildings. There's a statistic, <laughs> something interesting about Charlotte <laughs> County. We have an alligator in all of our stormwater systems. Um, but just the, the incredible concentration of, I mean, in, and I don't see one under 10 feet. No, they no. are massive. They're big guys. They are yes, massive. they and are there's big. That, always that one guy kayaking. Yes, and yes. I think <laughs> I, I, I'm not afraid of alligators necessarily. I'm pro properly fearful, but they're swimming underneath you, around you. An accident, you flip a kayak or a canoe. You're not coming up. No. I don't understand that. No, I've only done that once and never again. It freaked me out completely. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back, so the types of flooding, river, uh, flooding from the river. Flooding from the storm surge that comes in, flooding from high tides, um, and then flooding from rain. So thinking about Hurricane Ian, it dumped a huge amount of rain on a huge swath of Florida going from the west coast to the east coast. I mean, we're talking 15 to 20 inches Which of rain. three days later, the river floods because of that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Some significant flooding actually happened in Orlando because of Hurricane Ian, because of that huge amount of rain. Yeah, and then all that water from Orlando pulls into the Kissimmee, which pulls into Lake Okeechobee, yes. which ends up in the Indian River Lagoon. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, all, it, all, it has to go somewhere. And your job is to make sure it goes to the right somewhere. Yes, yes, it's to make sure it goes to the right somewhere, and if it is going to come to us, to make sure that we have those protections in place to minimize that loss of life and loss of property. So in addition to building resilient homes, building them up higher, building them better, what else, what other projects and programs do you put in place to make sure you're managing your water? It's a lot, of t lot to do with education um, and how our residents react to water. Um, People tend to think that, especially when you talk about a storm coming, a hurricane coming, that it's all about the wind. And the wind is the, you know, the, the damaging thing. And absolutely, wind damage is, is incredible. Can really it can be really bad. But the most dangerous thing about water is storm surge. Um, as you can see with some of the pictures of, of how that water inundated Fort Myers Beach mm -hmm. and Sanibel and Pine Island, you can see how much damage and how destructive water can be, how powerful it is. Water, six inches of water can float a car. And that's, that's, you know, that's incredible. That's a little amount of water yeah. and it can float a car. So imagine what 15 feet of storm surge can do to a building. It just takes that building away, unless it has those proper protections in place. So those foundations, that elevation to stop that from happening. And you, you'll see when you look at, you know, the pictures from Fort Myers Beach and Sanibel and Pine yeah. Island, and the newer structures, they performed very well because they're elevated. Speaks they to have, strong speak, building codes. Exactly. Speaks very much to strong building codes and those floodplain regulations that we now, have in place. Um, Charlotte County is home to Babcock Ranch, yes. the largest land purchase that Florida has ever made. 90,000 acres? It was 90,000, 92,000 acres, something like that. I'm waiting for you to say as big as Rhode Island because, you know, <laughs> whenever you talk about something big or small, you want to say as Rhode Island. Yes. Um, so, but uh, the importance of setting aside land to let that water move through and, and flood through, does, does Babcock Ranch help in that regard? Absolutely. Any land that we have in preservation, um, anywhere around those areas that are, are prone to flooding, absolutely helps send the water in the right place. And Charlotte County, we're, we have an incredible resource in terms of our preserved land. Over 
I think it's over 40% of our land in Charlotte County is in some type of preservation. Now that can be inland, like Babcock Ranch, or it can be along the coast. And where it's along the coast, we have a lot of mangrove fringe. What mangrove fringe does is as storm surge comes in, it dissipates that storm surge. So it actually protects the residents further yeah, it inland. It, it breaks it up, yeah. So having that land in preservation is, is hugely important. Um, you know, that's why you have protections in place for, you know, mi minimizing re reduction of, you of know, wetlands. It, to me, the best type of environmentalism, especially in a state that has 20 million people and adding another thousand every day, the best type of environmentalism is the kind of environmentalism that means we can cohabitate. We can live with the environment, the environment can live with us. And there's no better example of that than mangroves. Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, those, those root systems just serve to break up the water, break up the force, slow it down. Um, and it, they're beautiful and they provide wildlife habitat and all that kind of good yeah. stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all the good fluffy stuff, but it's also about our literal survival. It is, but it's also about our economic development as well. Because you think those, those mangrove fringe forests, they're great habitat for sports fish. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, Charlotte Harbour is, is one of the tarpon fishing, you know, best in the world for tarpon fishing and sports fishing you know, because was, of what we I have. You know, I was snorkeling, I was down in the Keys uh, on my honeymoon, mm -hmm. and uh, we stopped on one of these um, pontoon boats, and we stopped near these mangroves, and everybody got off and kayaked, mm -hmm. and we were taking turns. Uh, and uh, my wife and I decided we wanted to go snorkeling. Nobody else did. Well, we'll wait till we're going to, because we're going to go to a reef later on. And we snor and, I, and this was so eye-opening. So we snorkeled over, and I just thought I'd look along the edge of the mangrove. I, I, it was reminiscent when I was, if you've been to the aquarium in Atlanta. Yes, when they I the, have. Right? Yes. It was like that. There yeah. was snook, mm -hmm. there were redfish, yep. there were lots of little, all yep. kinds of little mm -hmm. fish. It was like, oh my gosh. It's, and this was just one little itty-bitty spot. I probably saw 500 fish in 30, 40 yards worth of mangroves. So you're right, it's incredible habitat, mm -hmm. which if you keep them, people mm -hmm. will come, people will fish. They do. People will buy boats, people will buy homes, all that kind of good exactly, stuff. Exactly, exactly. You know, tapping into that ecotourism thing is, is huge for Charlotte County. And, and, you know, because people want to be in a fairly natural environment, they want to be able to fish, they want to be near the water. And that's why people come flock to Charlotte County. I mean, you think about it, what a mangrove does, it, it so it protects your home. Mm -hmm and it protects uh, your uh, recreation and activities, and it provides food. Yes. Uh, uh, so tell me a little bit more, educate me a little bit more about floodplain management or, or uh, your, your area of, of love here. <laughs> so to me, it's all about um, providing a way for our citizens to be protected from, from floods, from future floods, um, to be able to purchase affordable flood insurance um, to help recovery after a disaster, because that's a big part of floodplain management is that flood insurance piece, which is a federally run, the National Flood Insurance Program is a federally run program, and you know it's it's a little complicated, yeah. and you know. Well, I love how this all ties together yeah. because now you have hurricane hurricane recovery. If you have good floodplain insurance. If you have good floodplain management, you'll have good floodplain yes. insurance. Yes, and it ties together even if, you know, source of damage to a home is not flooding damage. There are requirements because of floodplain management that, say, a house is, is damaged fairly severely by a storm, by wind damage. 
and they're in a special flood hazard area, because of flood insurance, they're actually required to bring that house up to code and elevate, which is a great thing because it makes them more resilient yeah, in the, the future. future. Yeah, exactly. Because it frustrates me when I see, and I saw this you know, up in the panhandle, uh, the, the, the land got washed away after a Hurricane Dennis, I think it was, not Michael. Okay. Before then, and um, so they had to tear down this five-story hotel mm-hmm because it was unstable, they tore it down, they dumped a bunch of sand on there, and they rebuilt the hotel. And I'm thinking to myself, you're just in this vicious cycle of build, rebuild, build, rebuild, yeah. and that seemed irresponsible to mm-hmm. me. Um, I want to ask you a question, and this has perplexed me. So you're building a development, and you have to hold your own water. Yes. You have to protect your water. And so um, you dig a ditch, mm-hmm. of, and you have to make it to certain specifications. And they say... Well, you need to build it to the 100-year storm. Mm-hmm. Um, that idea is that once every 100 years, this level of storm will happen. Yes. But because of uh, uh, climate change and other factors, the 100-year storm now happens every eight years. Mm-hmm. All right, here's the question. When are we going to change the nomenclature to reflect reality? Cause, and let me tell you why I think yeah. this is important. You're on the county commission. I mean, you're, you're working for the county. You're sitting before the county commission. Seven people. I'm a developer. I walk and I go, this is unreasonable. Your staff is making me build this to a once-in-a-century storm. That's the standard. Help me understand this. So that's been the standard in, flood, in the floodplain management world since 1972, which was the inception of the National Flood Insurance Program. Um, it's a standard that needs to change, um, but it's a federal standard that is used to define the area of of greatest concern in in terms of floodplain management. We do try to not use the 100-year storm. We say a 1% chance of flooding. It's essentially the same thing. What I'm working um, with various colleagues across the the country to do is to bring those floodplain regulations into this century to reflect future conditions when we get those flood maps because at the moment, FEMA will come out and map a flood, a special flood hazard area. They don't take into consideration future conditions. So there's no component of sea level rise. There's no component of frequency of flooding, anything like that in them. It's very statistical, and it's based on the past. Yeah, and on the, on the other end of it, I know there are parts of the country that are getting a lot less rain. Mm-hmm. So the 100-year storm may not come ever. Yes. And so uh, the, I guess these maps need to be updated so they're reflective mm-hmm. so you can say, look, hey, first of all, I don't need you to get it to a 100-year storm you know, standard, but a 10-year storm standard may mean the same thing, but it's realistic. And I worry about it looking unfair mm-hmm. to a developer mm-hmm. to say, oh, yeah, in case once every 100 years you got to build it, because it sounds absurd. Yes. Right? Oh, yeah, my God, I had to build this to, you know, once a century storm that may come along. Yep. Uh, and you think of these 1935 hurricanes, well, obviously a bunch of them we've had. Yep. Uh, so it's, it's just a matter of updating the maps. Keep the standard the same, but now you don't have to build to that because you're building to a realistic standard. Yes, it's, it's making them reflect the current conditions and future conditions. You know, and we can say a 100-year storm. There's a great graphic going around, I don't know if you've seen it, that takes... Um, the landfalling hurricanes in the last five years, there's been five category four or higher landfalling hurricanes in the Gulf since 2017. Most of them to New Orleans. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but it looks at, you know, Ian and Michael and, yeah. and all of those storms. But to see that graphic laid out, it kind of wraps around the, the Gulf, the northern Gulf Coast and down to southwest Florida. Yeah. It's pretty incredible to see. Yeah. You know, you know how you know when it's bad? Here, here's the standard. When everybody has their favorite hurricane app. Yes. Right? I when, do. When, when oh, I like Windy. Oh, come on. I like Weather Underground. Are you kidding me? Oh, People no. Windy's like, much better. Yeah, I love it. I love it. You can slide it across. Yep. Watch where it's going to go. Um, and all the same raw data underneath. It's yes. about presentation yep. and graphics. Um, so, so when you saw the hurricane headed your way, part of it was, this is my moment. This is what I really care about. Yes. What did you learn um, about, you know, now you're both a citizen dealing with it. You're a floodplain geek mm-hmm. and a self-described floodplain yes. geek. I'm not insulting no, you. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a pri- it's a prideful thing. It is. Um, uh, no, but you're also an administration. Mm-hmm. And so what did you learn that we can share with other county administrators, other city managers that you didn't know before the storm? Um, I, I think that we need to impress more on our residents to not underestimate the risks of storm surge and when our national weather service and our hurricane um the the national hurricane center is issuing warnings about storm surge you have to take them seriously and you have to evacuate you can hide from wind if your house is, is strong enough you cannot hide from water you need to run from water it's very, very critical. And I think we need to do a better job of messaging that and getting that out to our Yeah, and I don't know what residents. that is. And go back to, I mean, I was joking about the apps, but the reality of it is we're sitting there, we're, we're now experts about where this thing is going to land. And I remember my son um, was finishing up at Stetson uh, Law in Pinellas, and he called me up. He goes, oh, Dad, we're going to be fine, blah, 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 blah. And at the time, the blue line was pointed right at South Pasadena in, yes. in South Pan- Pinellas. Um, he says, oh, we're going to be, we're going to be held up. We're going to be fine. I said, no, 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 mm-hmm. get the hell out of there and get yes. the hell out of there now. Because if it keeps heading your way, the getting out won't be easy because you and yep. 70% of the yep. people, that's a real challenge for families to know when to hold them and when to fold them, so to speak. It is. It really is. And there's a lot of complacency out there we find within our residents, um, because, you know, you've seen storm surge predictions come across for Hurricane Ian that, uh, sorry, Hurricane Irma that didn't pan out. Right. So my house during Hurricane Irma was predicted to have 13 feet of water, but it just didn't pan out because the storm changed and storms are dynamic. They change, um, you know, as they come on shore. I was talking to somebody from the National Weather Service um, a couple of weeks ago who said a 10 mile jog, which in the size of Ian is tiny. But that would have changed from that storm coming in over my house to it coming in over Tampa Bay if it had just gone 10 miles further west. So think about that. You know, think about the implications and think about how much that storm wobbled as it was coming towards us. Little jogs can have a huge impact. So don't focus on the black line. Focus on the cone. You know, you almost want to ask them to Get rid of the black line. Yes. Because yes. people look at that and then they ignore the cone. Yes. And I, I remember in Irma, um, we woke up early in the morning and I said, hey, we got to get out of here because we were living in Coconut Creek at the time. And uh, it was literally, like you said, that the line was right yes. there. We, by the time we got in the car, got loaded up, we, we decided to head west mm-hmm. to the west coast and then come up the west coast. And by the time we got there, the line had changed and it was pointing it was pointing at us as we headed towards Lakeland. 
Um, we were fortunate we got out before, you know, nothing happened. And then it ended up, we went to, to Tallahassee and ended up coming right through Tallahassee. Yes, yes, so, I remember, yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm sympathetic to, it's not just apathy or uh, complacency that there's people who financially, where am I going to go, who am I going to stay with? Yeah. Uh, and you almost wonder, like, if you treat uh, housing management like floodplain management, you have places for the water to go, mm-hmm. that we would set up not in eastern Charlotte, but two counties away to get out of the storm, then yeah. you can come back. But yeah. it's a really challenging thing. It really is, and sheltering is very, very challenging, especially in coastal communities, because we don't have the facilities that are in areas that are protected from storm surge or protected from flooding. Most of our last resort shelters, which is essentially what we what, what we have in Charlotte County, are within areas that could see storm surge if it was bad enough. Um, you know, what we do is a lot of mutual aid and a lot of um, communication with other places inland or on the other coast. Um, and you'll see them op- opening up shelters if they know it's going to hit the, the west yeah. coast. And we do that. We, re- we reciprocate with that. If we see something coming at the east coast, we'll open our shelters so people can come over and evacuate to the west coast. And, and, and by the way, that reciprocation deals with... Uh, also with debris removal, oh, yes. with uh, 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 power restoration, is really one of the coolest things in government mm-hmm. where two cities can say, hey, if you guys have a storm, we'll send our crews in. If you have a storm, and no charge yep. uh, or some sort of financial mm-hmm. arrangement, mm-hmm. It, re- it really works well, mm-hmm. right? Except, yeah. except Irma when we, what did we have, 57 counties? Yeah, it was all of us. I mean, on, along those lines, um, following Ian, we had representatives from Pinellas County EOC were embedded in our EOC helping us and giving our staff relief. Um, so that they were they were working on behalf of our staff so our, our staff could sleep. It was only last week that building inspectors from Sarasota County left our county. They've been in our county since... Since last week. Yeah, it was last week. So they've been in our county since September, October, like, you know, October, helping us with building inspections yeah, since so that time. Talk to me a little bit about recovery and what you've learned through recovery mm-hmm. that you could share that would make make the job easier for somebody else? I think recovery, make sure you have your plans in place on what you're going to do and how you're going to recover. Be proactive. Think about what those agencies that are going to come in and help, what they're going to need in advance. For example, FEMA. FEMA comes in, they do an amazing job throughout the disaster. They're, They're incredible. I mean, we had FEMA reps embedded in our EOC. They were bringing in aid, working with our National Guard. We had food out there, things like that, very, very quickly for our residents. But then they transition onto a disaster housing piece. So they they come in and they assess the level of damage to people's houses and work with people that need it to provide disaster housing. But they have to work within the rules and regulations that a local government has in place, which doesn't necessarily allow an RV to be parked in front of somebody's house and that person to live in. doesn't necessarily allow a mobile home to be put on their lot. So what can you do about that? So a couple of things we did is before the storm, I've started having conversations with our county commission saying, hey, we are going to need disaster housing. This is going to impact us. We are going to need it. And let me preface this by saying I actually went through Hurricane Charlie back in 2004, mm-hmm. which was a high cat four storm that very, very small, but devastated a lot of Charlotte, a small portion of Charlotte County. I mean, it was hugely impactful to us. So we'd gone through this disaster housing piece before. We were nowhere near as organized then as we are now. So I knew that FEMA is going to want to put RVs, they're going to want to put 
mobile homes on people's lots. So we, we had those conversations with, with our board ahead of time and said, hey, when this happens, I'm going to come to you with a resolution that says you're going to allow this to happen. So waive, temporarily waive Wave temp the... Yes, okay. yes. Remove those barriers. So that, that, that's a good nugget to say, guys, get this document ready. You don't have to do it unless the accident, you know, the, the, the crisis happens, but be ready, call the commission, pass this thing so FEMA can come in and do its job yes. and people can have a place to live. Yes. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's bothersome to me. So, um, there was a story, um, in, in the Fort Myers beach, uh, company CDR, uh, came in and set up a temporary, uh, uh, triage healthcare triage mm -hmm. because as people were doing cleanup, they put a nail in their foot, piece, yeah. of, piece of glass and the hospitals were, were overrun. And so they set up this temporary shelter. What they did is they, had to find an emergency place to locate. They found an old Publix, and they went in, they set up, they got the air conditioning running, and it killed me because the press was complaining that, oh, there's leak and it smells like mold. I'm like, it's an emergency. You know, you got people living, you're going to have living on the streets, not having health care. Uh, they were cleaning it up as quick as they could, and it just seemed unfair. And, and to your point, it's like, look, let FEMA park an RV here, yes. uh, one of their standard RVs, so people can have a place to live. We have to, listen, building codes are critical, as you just identified. Yes, uh, land use is critical, how we use that land. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, during an emergency, we have to put all that aside so we can at least take care of the basic. We have to move down the Maslow's hierarchy yes. to get it done. Did you learn anything else during recovery that you wish you'd have known? Um, I, I think to have patience and to try and instill in our community. So that's been, not going to work. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to, you know. I think we, we got things basically up and running very, very quickly. Now, that doesn't mean the debris was cleaned up quickly. We're still doing our last debris pass, um, four and a half million wow. cubic yards of debris um, later. Um, so now, how does that work? Do you pay for that and then FEMA reimburses you? Yes, okay. yeah. Yeah, and you know we'll get pretty much 100% reimbursement because the state has already jumped in to cover some of the county's costs as well, which is, has been amazing. Yeah, and, and, and keep in mind, folks, there's a process that you need to know to make sure you do get reimbursed. Yes. Keep good records. Make sure they're picking up just your debris, not somebody else's debris. I mean, yep. uh, all these things uh, are critical to making sure you get properly reimbursed. Oh, and you good. will yes, if you do Yes, we will. Right. We will. And, you know, we have a really good tracking system. We have a great company that comes in and does our debris um, and, and does our monitoring as well. So there's a whole process. Um, but you have to try and instill into our citizens the need for patience. Not everything is going to happen immediately. Um, and that that type of thing can actually really drain staff as well. So, you know, you're dealing with, you still have a shelter open, so you have people living in a rec center, kids living in a rec center. We have debris everywhere. We have stop signs down. We have street signs down. Street lights are damaged. And yet somebody's complaining to us because the pickleball courts are not open. I <laughs> yep. And that's difficult to deal with, and that's difficult as an employee of the county and that's difficult as a member of staff to deal with that you're having because you see those complaints you hear those complaints and people tend to focus on the small things that are very meaningful to them um and you have to take yourself away from that the other thing i i really no, see it's, it's the person who lives at the end of the cul-de-sac that has three trees down on three different power lines and they're they're wondering why they can't get their power restored yes well we got the hospital to get yes we got the street lights to get yes. we have grocery stores to yes. get we have the big neighborhoods mm -hmm. to get mm -hmm. sorry 
mm-hmm. you're going to be last in line because yeah. that's three trees for one house. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Or, you know, gas stations. That's, that's actually a big takeaway from this storm is people couldn't get gas. Um, people couldn't get gas to get to work. Our employees couldn't get gas to get to work. And we had to really think very quickly as, okay, how are we going to solve this? And we ended up giving 10 gallons of gas to each employee to help them get to work from our fueling stations. We've never done that before, um, but we had to do it to make sure that people could get to work. Did you deliver the gas? No, they could get to the the fueling stations. We had several fueling stations set up around the county. So we had our normal fuel yards, then we deployed mobile fuel yards for them. So all they had to do was get there and they could get 10 gallons of gas that which kept them going for, you know, a a few days to get to and from work because if I can't get staff into work, to help with the recovery, then the recovery is not going to happen, is it? No, and, and the, 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 the hierarchy of who gets power restored first, I, it didn't dawn on me. I, I was like, my first is hospitals, yeah. then grocery stores mm-hmm. so people can eat and mm-hmm. get water. But yeah, gas stations because they, yep. they make sure people can get there. Exactly. Gas stations need power as much as anybody else. And, you know, there's regulations around having generators at gas stations, but they're only emergency generators. They're not right. going to fuel you know, pump, a, a, allow people to pump fuel for a long term, long right. term. So, you know, it's, it's definitely something that was a huge need. Well, when did, when did the hurricane hit? Uh, September 28th, day so- before my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you're like, well, happy birthday to yes. me. It's coming right to my house. So mm-hmm. September, we're taping this at the end, early February. So October, November, December, January. So four months later, mm-hmm. The workers from Sarasota have finally gone back to their jobs. Yes. Thank you, Sarasota. Yes. Uh, things are just starting to get back to normal. I mean, talk about patience. Hurricane Michael was, I think we just passed its four-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. There's still blue tarps. Yes. Um, and yeah, which, which do you do first is really, really hard. And there will be blue tarps in our county for a long, long time. Um, my example, I go back to Hurricane Charlie. We issued 40,000 roof permits in Hurricane Charlie back in 2004. I estimate 80,000 with, with Ian because of the... Just sun, Just in, in Charlotte, Charlotte county. county. Yeah, we're issuing three to 400 permits a day for cages, for roofs, hurricane recovery permits a day. Cages? Yes. Lanai's. Oh, okay. The aluminum structures over swimming pools. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, well, what are you guys doing down there? <laughs> A lot of cages. Yes. <laughs> no, the aluminum structures, and I won't call it aluminium. <laughs> there you go. Your accent gives you away. It does occasionally. <laughs> um, anything other than Mayaka State Park, which has the coolest <laughs> alligators in the world. Anything else? Our last question is always, uh, tell us something cool about Charlotte that we don't know. Um, I you, think you've covered a lot, by the I way. I have, I have. Um, to me, Charlotte County can be the center of the universe. We have so many people that visit the county and live in the county from all over the world, um, all over the United States. It's not unusual for people to find people that they used to go to school with living in Charlotte County. I'll, I'll give you an example. I believe it was our budget and administrative services director and one of his employees. Um, both came, moved into this county from, um, I think, Michigan, um, he was from. Their siblings used to be best friends. They had no idea about each other. They did wow. not know each other. Um, yeah. What's the population in Charlotte County? We have just around 200,000 people. Because it, 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 I, it's like that county that's not, you know, we have the counties that everybody knows, right? Mm-hmm. Broward, mm-hmm. 
lay on the Capitol, yep. Duval. Yep. For some reason, it's, it seems like Charlotte County is to Florida what like Nebraska is to the United yes. States. It's like the yeah. flyover county, yes. except Punta Gorda is growing very oh, rapidly. Amazing. You have yes. some beautiful mm-hmm. land and some beautiful natural resources there. Uh, but you're not, you know, you don't get the notoriety of a Naples nope. or Palm Beach. Nope. But uh, you, you, I'm starting to hear more and more about uh, Charlotte County. Yes, people are definitely finding us. Claire Jubb, thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to have a floodplain nerd on the show. But given the fact that we're six feet above being a beach, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. state level, uh, statewide beach, uh, that the Everglades could eventually be all of Florida at some mm-hmm. point, uh, floodplain management is probably one of the most important things we can do and managing our the safety and the enjoyment of our people. Yes, it is. Thank you for having me. Oh, appreciate it. Really good. Fantastic. Folks, this is Steve Bancor, and this is the FCCMA podcast, a service produced by and for the Florida City and County Management Association. Again, if you have a question you would like to submit or a guest you would like to suggest, just simply send me an email at svancor at vancorjones.com or message FCCMA on Facebook. Thank you so much for being with us.